<laughs> check, check. Would you like to be called Dr. Aaron Weiss? Exclusively. <laughs> MD, thanks for doing this. Um, and yeah, it's, Zoom is pretty easy. We're about ready to go live, like now, just so you guys know. Yeah, we're, we're we are live. perfect. Oh, I thought we were live this whole time. I've already spent my best material. <laughs> that's it. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. And uh, until next time, yeah, that's just it's been a, it's been a great yeah. great time meeting you, ladies and gentlemen. It brings me absolute great pleasure to introduce a man that is so full of mystery that a sort of cult-like buzz has evolved around him. And I'm sure he's super ecstatic that I'm introducing him that way uh, because I don't <laughs> think he really likes all of the attention. But uh, anyhow, we're going to find out hopefully a little bit about the man, the myth, the mystery, Mr. Aaron Weiss. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us today. We are... <laughs> <laughs> Is that just a sound effect or is that actual applause? <laughs> that's actual applause. No, that's a sound effect. <laughs> it's a sound effect, man, but you deserve every bit of it, yes. And was, you was your introduction here. also a sound bite? You just plug in my, <laughs> my particular name to another. Um, Aaron, I just want to start out by saying that when I met you in 2003 for the very first time, and of course you wouldn't remember that because you meet a million people, but... Um, you were playing a show in Fort Worth, Texas, and whenever I went up to talk to you, I was a little bit intimidated, but you were so nice and welcoming, and uh, you asked me to play pool with you right there in Club 412 in Fort Worth, and uh, it was just you know very memorable for me, completely forgettable for you, um, but it definitely stuck with me, and of course, I fell in love with me without you that day. I'd never even heard them before. Everyone knows what a great show you guys put on. Uh, and so anyhow, I, I, I feel like I'm about to fanboy out No, but you're awesome. Um, and you've, you've been kind every, every single time that I've met you, which has been a few times. So thank you very much for that. And, uh, I kind of want to like really start out just by kind of getting your story about how you got into music. Like what was, why are you in a band? It seems like you don't even like being in a band. I do sometimes. I like some, yeah. some parts of it, but, um, I probably would find fault with whatever I was doing. If I had a different job for the past 20 years, I would be complaining about that. But I'm trying to look on the brighter side and be grateful for all the, the really cool things that being in a band and, and not just a band, but my, my particular band with those, with the exact guys that are in the band with me and um, everything that's happened to us has been, I, I'd like to see it as a blessing and a real wonderful thing. Um, and, but to answer your question, what got me into music, I think the first band I really, really fell in love with was the Smiths in early high school. And, um, and then band band called minor threat was like, that's a punk band that singing about straight edge and, um, some had a, a kind of a moral compass and a real aggressive sound that, um, spoke to me and, and inspired me a lot. So, um, I don't know. Those are the first two bands that come to mind and Smiths are still one of my favorite bands. I don't really listen to minor threat anymore, but they were super influential in like getting yeah. me started. Well, you guys had a very unique sound. Obviously, you know, the band had uh, more of like the, I guess like the minor threat sound and the vocals. I don't think I'd ever heard vocals done 
the way that you did back then. Of course, there's lots of copycat bands now, but um, what really inspired the vocal style? It's almost, you know, some people would call it just yelling, you know, but it actually fits the music really well. It doesn't sound bad. Of course, that's that's whenever you guys first started out. You've kind of progressed over the years. But um, but what inspired that? Well, if I had to name a single guy, his, his name would be Sean McCabe. He was in a band called Ink and Dagger, which is a Philly-based, I guess you'd call them a punk band or a hardcore band. Um, and uh, they weren't around for that long. I think Sean actually passed away. I, I wanted to sound like him. I, looking back, I think he was, he sounds a bit like um, Ian Mackay to me, who is the singer of Minor Threat. So it probably no surprise that I liked him. But he was also a very powerful front man. My first time, it might have been my first punk show I ever went to. It was like $5 in the, the lobby of a, you know, some old building in Philadelphia. And he just jumped off the stage into the crowd and kicked people and was just so <laughs> fearless and bold and um, memorable that um, I was really taken aback by his stage presence and his and his the, the band's music. I still think Ink and Dagger, I actually don't know all their music, but some of their songs that I have heard are really cool and they still hold up, you know, 20 plus years later. Um, so that's probably the biggest, you know, influence on that distinct kind of shout sound. But then I tried to incorporate other things like a more like a scream and a melody and a spoken word kind of approach. So just to keep some variation to hopefully have it be, you know, a little more well-rounded than, I mean, we couldn't, I don't think we could have put, put out seven records full of just me shouting all the time and, and, and have me still be interested. Um, and I certainly couldn't as easily perform any songs in this kind of format with, uh, with an acoustic guitar with um, these rabbits uh, here, my, <laughs> my nieces and nephews around, I wouldn't want to be shouting and disturbing the peace, you know. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with Uncle Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> Asking that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I, um, full disclosure um, to all of our new at attendees who are here just to see you, I am not a Me Without You fan. Um, <laughs> when you guys first came on the stage, stage on the scene i should say uh you were a real big hit in the christian music youth group realm and i was a youth leader at the time and so and i'm checking out all the new bands people were into and like some of the students like you gotta check out me with you you're gonna love them they're they're the other kind of and um i mean obviously your stage presence there's a lot of things about your band i do like but the sound to me like i just was like oh, i can't really get with it and then <laughs> recently i was when we we knew you were going to be a guest on the show. I was kind of check out more of you guys' music because Chris, you know, you heard him be a fanboy earlier. He he's more of a fanboy than he let on, let on. Believe me, I am. And um, <laughs> and so really like, there's some stuff that you really will like, Homer. Check. And so I don't know which album it was I listened to. Chris is going to let you know. But no, it's really, all crazy. It's all false. I it think very fo it was very folky. Yeah. And yeah. um, I I dug it a whole lot. I I was I was into it. So um, I like your range if nothing else. Well, thank you, Omar. That one has a song about some old bunnies I had. So I'm reminded of. Where is it really? Called Timothy Hay. <laughs> it's the name of a of a rabbit. I think it's a food and a bedding. But these guys have had huh. some Timothy Hay. They're only about <laughs> seven weeks old, but they're not the breed that I'm singing about on that album. I sing about two particular rabbit breeds that I was hoping to acquire when there was talk of us getting rabbits. But um, I, <laughs> no more Timothy Hay. Robert w Walker says, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. My niece likes to say that, which is uh, the highest compliment I, I could ever hope for. My daughter sings it too, so then I think, well, now we made it. 
if Omar and Chris yeah. don't like our band as long as my <laughs> exactly I feel that way about my podcast as long as my kids can listen to it like 20 years from now I'd be like dad was crazy as all get out but <laughs> I have started listening recently and I What's I really have all found you boys the... listening to them recently yeah come on we've been around for 20 years you know <laughs> right? well I I but see I am musically Ooh, inept true so I'm not musically yeah, inept from becoming a professional not, <laughs> well, that's okay. Good point. Good, good point, Aaron. Uh, but what I have heard since, especially since learning more about your band, is is more about you as a yeah. person. And I, I think, you know, I, I I feel as if you are a legend, my Thank friend. You. Please, please tell that to the good, and, good people uh, hiring at the local community colleges around here. <laughs> I'm sure they've never heard of me. They're not too impressed. Just put us on me. as your references. Yeah, That's it. Well, yeah. yeah, just well, sing it. Well, well, Seth that work. said he started listening to us recently. So and Omar <laughs> says he likes a, a song or two from "It's All Crazy." So did he give me a job to pay, okay, pay the bills I, for the I, rest? I, of my- well, let's talk about you as a person, then, man. Because I mean, I mean, your your music has brought you places, but I think it's your the, the personality that is Aaron Weiss that is what makes it be without you and creates kind of the cult following that Chris was talking about. And we learned earlier that today that cult isn't necessarily bad because you guys aren't a destructive cult. <laughs> That's and right. So there, there, there is a difference. Um, shout out to Rick Allen Ross with that one. But uh, You're just uh, a Jerry Garcia. Yeah, kind of you're guy. kind of Jerry Garcia-ish yeah. in a way. So, Yeah, well, our drummer would like that. Our drummer Ricky is a big Grateful Dead fan. See, and of I course, like he's such a huge <laughs> And everybody in the band, I, I definitely did couldn't agree with that. Um, if there's any, uh, uh, anyone, if you were to say um, that I was, my personality or something about me that was the part of, you know, why me without you was this or that. I mean, obviously it is very much a group effort. I, I know I play a role in what we do, but um, I, I couldn't have done, I, I can't do any of it without the other guys. I could never write the songs and record them and much less put on a cool performance. It's actually, why I was a little reluctant. I don't know if, if everyone here knows this, but um, Omar and I had a, a little bit of, um, I don't know, miscommunication or maybe some difficulty figuring out exactly what I was doing and signing up for and coming to take part in the podcast because um, I've had different people ask me to put on, like do a solo performance or something, and I just never feel like I'm able to um, really carry the, the the show by myself um put on a worthwhile performance because it i realize how much i need the other guys when someone says hey would you play a few songs on the acoustic guitar and i start and about 30 seconds in i'm like this is just terrible why would anybody want to listen to me doing this <laughs> i get it when i have all the other guys and everybody's locking together and there's all the energy of the live show i could see the appeal but with me and an acoustic guitar um i gotta warn you if i do end up playing it, it it's not going to be uh, well, anyway, well, you're you're very humble. Um, obviously, Aaron, you're very. No one's going to say that you lack humility at all. But I think that in in anybody in a band, that's the kind of front man they want because you have to have a front man in a band. They're just it's just the way that it goes. It's kind of like with a po- this podcast. It's like I don't mind being the front man of the podcast, but it's not my. I mean, these guys and and my wife probably works harder than than the rest of us, all of us combined. You know, but it's everybody has a role to play. And, is that so, you, Elizabeth? Are you you and Omar are married? Yes, we are. Uh, That's me. Years. <laughs> and you're in the same room I'm gathering by the red paint. 
Yep. <laughs> yep. How could you tell? This is actually, I'm in my mom's house that I grew up in. Oh, cool. She so has better internet access. She's watching access. our kids and we're down in North Carolina. So, well, Aaron, you downplay your talent. Okay. But let's compare you. Let's compare your voice to Bob Dylan. Okay. Bob Dylan's voice is trash. You can carry a tune. So, I, I think that people would love to hear you play the guitar. I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to, but, you know. We could take a vote, I guess. A vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but... Um, I happen to think Bob Dylan has a pretty good pitch. And his, you know, his voice, you could take it or leave it. I happen to like it in his younger years. And now it's gotten a bit gravelly, but... Um, I do, I do. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan and his, you know, and well, he's great. Earlier albums, and, yeah. And people, what people really connect with with Bob Dylan, I think, are the lyrics, and I think that's the exact same for you. Is like your lyrics are otherworldly. I mean, I, I could quote the entirety of AB Life because I thought it was so profound whenever it came out. Uh, the lyrics in that, and and I know that you take a lot of. Uh, I guess, influence from poets and, uh, you know, authors and writers like John Donne. Um, when did you decide that that's kind of the lyrical direction you were going to go? Cause a lot of people, whenever they have bands that have the sound that you had, whenever you first started out, that those lyrics were nothing like what you were doing. And certainly you had elements of Christianity when you first started and that progressed to be more inclusive of other things. Like when you got to, it's all crazy. We're, we're saying a lot, a lot, a lot. And, and so on and so forth. Tell me a little bit about your lyrics. Well, I didn't take much from John Donne. It's just one big chunk in one song off of A to B Life. But, but Rumi is a, is a Persian poet who I did take a lot from. And he's con- considered a Sufi in the tradition of Islam. And um, it might appear that our lyrics had a trajectory from Christian-based to inclusive of more different, um, of a wider variety of religions. But it's not necessarily the true because of the very first line of the very first song of our first album is taken from from Rumi and so and and, and I quoted him I mean just pl- shamelessly plagiarized from him on our first two albums without even giving credit to him um, and so early on he, he shaped me and my direction not just the style of my writing but in the content of my ideas uh, I don't think I've ever read another John Dunn poem other than the one that I quote in, in that one song I think it's everything is beautiful and nothing hurt but Rumi's ideas and his spirit is all over everything um, I've ever done lyrically after at least starting with our first full-length album our, our first couple of songs that we tried writing I look back and they're, they're pretty embarrassing because it's just you know I'm just trying to figure out how to put a song together so they don't seem to me very in- inspired or creative and then I started to learn to incorporate other people's ideas and come up with hopefully something that was novel or at least in- introduce those ideas to an audience that might not have otherwise heard them. Like you said, Omar, if you're in a youth group, there's somebody who grew up in a kind of homogenous Christian context um, might not have been exposed to Rumi. And if they were only, for example, allowed to listen to CDs that were being sold at a Christian bookstore, well, they were, um, they were hearing some Sufi ideas uh, through our songs as early as our, our very first album. So that's not something that I, I, I slipped in later or that are necessarily changed about me. I was raised in Sufi Islam. So it was just a part of my, it was in my bones, even if I didn't re- acknowledge it or, or it, even if I didn't want it to be, it was there. And I think it wasn't until the It's All Crazy album that I just embraced it full tilt and just decided to st- sort of stop veiling it or not worry if somebody's going to um, reject it because of it, certain lyrics being in Arabic or if it quotes something from the Quran or something and, 
thought, well, if that's going to lose us a few followers, and so be it. It's worth it to me. Where are you from, Aaron? You're, I didn't know you were raised Houthi. Yeah, from, I was raised in Philadelphia. Yeah, okay. My parents both. My my mom uh, was raised Episcopalian. My dad was raised Jewish, but they met at a Sufi fellowship. Huh. And uh, that's where they came to. Um, I think came into their own as far as developing their, their the faith that would stick with them for life. My dad passed away about ten years ago, but my mom's still on that path very much. And so, and they never pushed it on me. It was never like a dogmatic thing. Like you have to accept these tenets, but it was definitely uh, I saw their faith and I felt their their love and their passion for the, the pursuit of the religious truth. And I always was drawn to that. And I always loved that. And I never, I've, I've taken that and I've never questioned, you know, I have questioned it, but I've never um, felt a, a pull to any other path in the way that I have on the, the, the path of, to God or what I would call the path to God or the path of, of faith or of, of spirituality or whatever words you want to give it. Okay, I'm not going to pretend that I know a whole lot about Islam or the difference between the, the Sufi or, and so I don't know um, how much you can unpack to that of like how that like what about those tenets that like drove you to like say okay this is truth for me other than you said that your your parents obviously influenced this greatly, but what sure. what about that faith in particular that drew you back in? Well, it's I, it's a good it's a great question. I'm not sure. It's hard to say, and I, I certainly couldn't express it. I, I wouldn't feel co- confident expressing it in terms of tenets or dogmas or you know a, a set of beliefs, um, and nor would I put it in terms of uh, it being a aspect of Islam as opposed to Christianity or as opposed to any other uh, worldview or group, um, because what part of what um, drew me to it and keeps me on that uh, pursuing that kind of path. Um, is its inclusiveness or open-heartedness in that, or, or the nuance of it, and seeing Sufi elements in uh, in, in it, Islam, of course, but in Christianity or in agnosticism or in rabbits and in <laughs> the sun and the trees. And there's something about this expansiveness and this immensity of God that we can't say anywhere that God isn't, and we can't draw boundaries around God or say that we understand or put it in some kind of a capsule and carry it around in our pocket and use it for our purposes. Uh, it seems like every time I've tried to do that, whether it's trying to preach to somebody or trying to t- show off how good I am or how much I understand, it just kind of backfires on me and it leaves me feeling like, um, like I've, I've got it wrong on some profound level. So my, my best experiences of peace come with a real surrender of, everything really literally everything in my life and and including surrendering my ideas about god and that's a subtle one because you could say we surrender and we're following god but sometimes at least for me that's still bound up with attachments to all kinds of concepts and um idols of the mind you know so i've had to try to unpack things and just let go and and doing so i've never felt abandoned by god or i've never felt uh utterly uh, alone or despair just felt pulled deeper and deeper into some kind of uh, profound hope or beauty. We have a question from one of our listeners here. Jeremy's asking, it seems like with the last couple of albums, you've lost the desire to be understood. Was that an internal shift or sort of a natural shift? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. I don't know. It might be both. Um, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was happening whether I wanted it to or not. And it's probably related to what I was just 
yeah. um, uh, trying to describe that feeling of arrogance that I've, I just look back at some old interviews of myself or with ways I've used to be and ways I'm sure I've come across to people that have been, that just felt so arrogant and presumptuous and self aggrandizing. And so I've tried to step back and say, well, even if I had this specific thing, I really wanted people to understand how am I sure that's, that's correct. And how am I sure that, I mean, even if 10 people were to listen to a song I wrote, how do I know what those 10 people need in their life? And, and you put it on an album, my gosh. And then it's there for those 10 people or a hundred or a thousand people, however many people listen to it. If you got a recording, they might listen to it next week or in 10 years, or you just have no idea what somebody needs to hear and where anybody's going to be at their life. So the task of trying to communicate in a meaningful or uplifting way, which is my hope. Um, I mean, we're certainly not getting rich doing it, but I, I thought, um, if, if I could have a, you know, a positive influence of some kind, it would be nice. Um, but it's so hard to know what anybody needs to hear. So uh, it could be that um, in trying to affirm some version of God or of faith, it's actually, uh, it could be triggering certain trauma that people have had been traumatized by religious institutions or God language and felt very condemned or judged or excluded or harmed by the language of God. So even saying the word, I have to, um, I, I have to pause and, and, and reflect, is that, is that necessarily going to be helpful to who, whoever's listening to me and the meaning that they're going to make out of hearing these words? So it, it definitely moved me in a direction of sort of just, uh, painting pictures or telling stories, but with different perspectives and not necessarily taking sides or making someone the protagonist, protagonist and someone else the antagonist. Just tell a story and trust that whoever's listening is able to find some meaning for their own life. And they're going to probably do a better job at finding real meaning than I would if I was trying to spoon feed it to them, if that makes sense. It does. It, it makes a lot yeah. of sense, especially because it falls in line with a lot of the conversations we have at Fade to Gray around deconstruction and the whole, once you realize that you don't have all the answers, you may not have all the answers. And sometimes the biggest things that we can do in moving forward um, and this may be, you know, for you or just for myself, Aaron, for anybody listening, that sometimes acceptance um, it, for ourselves is, is huge for the next step because it's like we're always trying to be better, or do better. But I think there's that like, OK, this is just where I'm at. Um, I mean, we can, we can yeah. still improve upon that. There's not the laziness of like I'm just giving up for what what you're talking about. It sounds like you just kind of accepted this is this is who I am. This is where I'm at. You know, you're not trying to force yourself onto anybody. Yeah, acceptance is a good word and just facing, yeah, this is where I'm at. And if I don't know, then pretending that I do isn't going to help anybody. And um, I appreciate you saying that because my wife tells me I can be very hard on myself and I have this negative self-talk kind of habit of like insulting myself under my breath if I make a mistake or after a conversation, I'm inevitably embarrassed about something I said. I call myself an asshole or... I just have a, you know, very little acceptance of myself. And it turns out I'm, I end up being judgmental of other people too. So I'm just trying to get out of that habit and sort of be more accepting of, of reality as it is rather than demanding that it conform to some expectations I might have, whether that's me or, or somebody else. 
you know, it's a catch point too. Cause even in that it's like, I have to change and be more accepting or just like, well, maybe I, or just accept that you're not as accepting right. <laughs> you know, at the same time, may just be just as good and just as freeing and, yeah, and get to the next exactly. level that way too. So yeah. totally. I agree. At that time, when you guys first started, it seems like you were kind of playing the game of, you know, the whole band thing. But then you just kind of like said, oh, well, fuck it. I'm going to be myself and I'm going to go and have all my lunch out of the garbage can and I'm going to run my bus on vegetable oil. You know, so what was that transition like? Well, I appreciate you asking. Yeah, yeah. it's a great question. In the beginning, we were, of course, trying to break into a scene that there's so many other bands trying to be noticed and. So we just came up with a gimmick. It's like, let's everybody wear suits and turtlenecks in the dead of summer, and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. flail around like maniacs and hope that somebody catches it, you know, pays attention. And I guess it worked. We got signed. So that, that I guess it worked, but um, it wasn't long before I started to evaluate, well, look, look how much money did I spend on this pair of shoes or how, um, look how many times I'm looking in the mirror or trying to, you know, come across this image that, you know, is superficial but of course we all i mean i i'm sure many of you can relate i wanted to be attractive i i wanted to at the time i had an overt intention of meeting girls and kissing them of course and i thought i'm going to travel around and see the see the world and i'm gonna meet a lot of girls and so i better look good and so i'm gonna dress in these cool clothes um but i had a real distinct turning point in 2004 when i went to live at um is a little Christian community in North Philadelphia called the Simple Way. Hmm. I only spent a few months living there, but they were in. Uh, it was a very formative time the for me way. because they were seemed really intentional about trying to put the teachings of Jesus into practice regarding taking care of the, the poor or the, those in need, rather than talking about um, some kind of theological concept of about salvation. They were talking about actually uh, heaven on earth or loving your neighbor as yourself, literally. Um, and it just spoke to me and made me help me to realize to at least be, begin to more fully realize how superficially I'd been, what my focus had been so superficial and self-serving and trying to, I mean, literally spending, buying expensive clothing and trying to come across in this way. So I, I, where I wouldn't necessarily agree is that, um, it, that period of time brought me to necessarily be more be myself in eating out of dumpsters or using the vegetable oil. Um, it probably just. I had to recognize looking back that there was still some degree of grandstanding or showboating, you know, that now my, that was like my new persona is now I'm going to dress in, in exclusively dirty clothes or rags and I'm going to exclusively eat out of trash cans and I'm going to live this whole pseudo St. Francis of Assisi kind of <laughs> life. Um, and this, uh, the image of the renunciate. You got the beard. Uh, for this. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you say, when you say simple way, are we talking Shane Claiborne? Yeah, and there was a there was I think eight, seven or eight of us living there at the time that I was staying there. Shane was one of the five founding members of the Simple Way, and he was still there at the time. And I don't know what became of the Simple Way if there's still I don't think it's still a community in the way it was then of people living together intentionally, but it is more like a not I think an organization that still does a lot of cool things. But um, at the time that I was involved, it was. You know, we lived in a house, like two houses on the same block and tried to share life together and live as a church. And yeah, Shane was one of the guys who's involved in that. Well, he, I mean, that's been, that's an incredible movement. Um, I've read a lot about that uh, movement 
just, you know, in my college experience. So it's amazing that you were kind of part of that. Yeah, it is. And Shane is all, everybody there at the time um, was super formative for me and really is a beautiful community. Uh, but I've definitely stayed in touch the most with Shane and he's been, I guess, personally the most, <coughs> try not to put too much of a spotlight on him. I don't think he likes that. And he always tried mm-hmm. to deflect the attention mm-hmm. to say, it's not about me, it's about us or it's about God. But of course, he's so charismatic and he's been successful right. as an author and a public speaker. So people tend to associate him with that community or that movement. But um, I'm sure he would like otherwise. I did want to say we are getting a lot of people voting that they do want to hear a song. I don't know if that's something that uh, that Aaron is is going to feel comfortable doing, but I'm just putting it out there, Aaron. The people... The rabbits want to hear you. one too. <laughs> How did you know? Are you... Are you listening to this? Do you hear it? Oh, fun. could you mind handing me that? My friend is standing about 10 feet this way, Nate. And right when you said that, he crept over to my guitar, which was leaning about, to, about five feet this way, and started tooling with it. So I thought, he must have an earpiece in or something. But, um, it was the Holy Spirit. No, I, it's, not that I, it's not that I really want to perform a song or don't want to. I just don't know. Is there one in particular? We just want you to be you. you yeah. Know? Do you have anything that, you know, maybe you've worked on that's maybe not even a me without you song. It's just an Aaron Y song. Oh, golly. I did a few songs right around. We were recording our last album and um, our last album and EP. We, we wrote and recorded them together. And I did a handful of songs that I didn't know if they'd be me without you songs or they'd be some other name for them. Um, I thought my, I, my dad had a, a failed enterprise he called Upper Darby Psychology. And um, I thought about keeping that going with an Upper Darby Psychology music division. Uh, if, if and when Me Without You peters out. So that was my one idea. I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to be called Aaron Weiss. I don't particularly like my name. So I don't want to hear it any more than I have to. But um, so what I like the name my dad came the up with. The Weissers? I said, yeah, what would your followers be called? The Weisers? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm a new age. Yeah, wiser. I don't know. But, um, but I didn't, um, I haven't practiced any of those songs since writing them. I literally don't even know how to play them. If I went and listened back, I could figure it out, but I didn't prepare it. Sure. Um, sure. And I don't know if we'll ever record anything. Maybe we'll record something and try to put it out. I don't know. <clears throat> what about a Bella Futuro song? Oh my gosh, that's even <laughs> further back. <laughs> play, play what you want to, Aaron. Play whatever you want, Please. man. Um, I want to, I want to play with the bunnies, <laughs> <laughs> play a Smith song. Smith, I don't know any of those. My brother plays a mean lead riff to this charming man, but I try to sing it and it ruins it. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, there's a handful of me without you songs that were, um, acoustic guitar bass, or as long as it's got a solid like chord structure that I can grab onto and a melody, um, Let's do it this way. We'll open it up to attendees. Um, Rehana Hashmi says, can you play Bethlehem WV? Okay. I got to figure it out. Non-existence at the end. Strangers disappear. They say he lost his mind. Too much found his mind. I hear it all the time. 
Vibrations rose in waves from a sea of discontent that used to talk about the days. I finally tasted what he wanted. Your carcass on the ground brought tears to their eyes. My frontal lobe is shutting down. I bet you hear it all the time. How's the mix of um? How's the um? Can you hear the vocal and the guitar evenly, more or yeah, less? Yeah, it's great. Can be louder. It's great. It's pretty good. Yeah. Actually, okay. There's a second verse to that song, but if we want to get, maybe we should try to cover as much ground as we can by just doing one verse. Okay. What about winter solstice? Oh. Winter solstice, the earth opened wide. The heart crushed like footsteps in the snow. Victorious persons disclaim his To all listening from rooftops below. Rain in the air was like perfume outside as the sky changed. We began when the ground was still dry, planting vineyards where vineyards don't grow, shaping cypress to pitch on both sides. For the nights when our trumpets won't blow. And the smile, but your vampire complexion still shows, and your past shows. It's really all it shows, so often unrecognizably so, through the eyes of the sheets, immaculate scenes. Let it already pass me by All the stars to ground And those are to found Set sail in the flood of my mind The other animals drown In blasphemous town And as they pass me by What should do as I please A European disease I had a little more trouble than oh. usual remembering the lyrics to that one because there's two different versions. The full band version is kind of one way, and then we did an alternate version on acoustic guitar with alternate lyrics huh. that we never performed live. I wanted to slip them in because I thought, it's just me and an acoustic. I should do the uh, acoustic version, but I couldn't remember <laughs> the lyrics, and it kind of sent me off track. So forgive me for pause no that's great oh, yeah, no and i again i'm i'm the old deadhead so i mean my favorite my favorite uh performer of all time couldn't remember his own songs either so it's <laughs> <'cause> it was <laughs> high <laughs> maybe this is by the grateful dead here we go Oh, 
I'm a fan now. I'm a converted fan. <laughs> I don't remember the chords of the chorus, but that song is so beautiful. And the best lyrics come in the second and final verse. So please listen to Ripple by the Grateful Dead. Yes. Ripple's it's an inspired song. It's like a, a revelation. We're getting a lot of requests, actually. Uh, Daisy says, <laughs> Cardiff Giant. Mm-hmm. That one is tough because the... Um, the higher the, the octave of the, the key that it's in on the album, and I sing at a higher octave, I need to warm up to hit those notes. So I usually do it <laughs> if I do it solo, and, and it, it needs a full band. If I do it solo, I sing it down an octave, but it might be too quiet to hear. So I'll try. Ragged robins to the curtain call. Captain ribbons in the trailer door. Hard initials in a concrete star. On the imitation marble floor. Where the box top admission to their throwaway. Strewn across the back of the I often wonder if I've already died out at elbows by the encore. There's a citadel inside. I'll go and shake my heart like yours. You shake yours like mine. We're the spiraling arms of all galaxies. We're the microscopic sand. Suffering from delusions of ungrandeur on middling display. Beside the Cardiff giant with the owl after eyes. I often wonder if I've already I often wonder if I've already died or be I. Is it not an intelligible I? Is it not an intelligible I? Is an unintelligible line. You don't need to take mushrooms. The eye is an unintelligible that's amazing. That was. <laughs> <laughs> we have quite a few people commenting on how you've sung the little bunnies to sleep and, and several requests for Timothy Hay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you definitely <laughs> sung yeah. some bunnies to sleep. You're a pretty cool guy, Aaron. Like, like enjoying <laughs> hanging out real. with you. This is a good evening. I just try to remember the bridge. Did 
Just before dawn, the sun set out to the sky. Mantis prayed in the lamella corn, told and rolled in a dead bear the home locks in the paracomb blades indignantly cut their feet. Come away when they cut their noses on the sharp tip blades. The grass doesn't mind the meat. And in the chicken wire hearts where the dough is from. The Netherlands stay. That dry alfalfa don't taste like much. And we're tired of the hay. So what's the next one? Is anybody want to hear? What's that? Uh-huh. I touched her back. She was lying face down. The dew turned the frost in her eyes. Me and Sister Margaret on the Pentagon lawn. Wrists in plastic ties. The rats on the tracks on these winter days. Seeking shelter from the cold. They can nest in the tracks of our various ways. They can save their immortal souls. Timothy Hay, no more Timothy Hay, oh no. You know this part, Eleanor, don't you? <laughs> no more Timothy Hay, oh no. No more Timothy Hay, please. No more Timothy Hay. No, no more Timothy Hay, oh no. No more Timothy Hay. No, no more Timothy Hay, oh no. No more Timothy Hay. No more Timothy Hay. On a cold December, just after dusk, the sun bit his torch with his eyes. He just looks at faces like an apple seed, just revealed the tree. Inside, the chaplain's called in a tattered sarong Like the seeds from the shepherd's first cell But the news to mom, we found a better mom We call God, and she took it quite well See what a beautiful God, what a beautiful God What a beautiful God there must be What a beautiful God, what a beautiful God What a beautiful God there must be What a beautiful God, what a beautiful God What a beautiful God there must be What a beautiful God what a beautiful time, what a beautiful time, you must be. Woo! Yay, bunnies. <laughs> Hooray for bunnies. Oh, man, that's so great, Aaron. And I know that, you know, everyone that's having to quarantine at home has just gotten so much joy out of hearing you play and, and seeing your you bunnies. Know, hearing some of your story today and definitely seeing some of your bunnies. And you have an audience there, too. Look at that. Uh-huh. My friend. <laughs> We don't have totally uh, finalized names for them, else I would introduce them. We thought of Pepper Paws and Bunny Stark, but it might be a little, a little too on the nose. I don't know. What do you think, Eleanor? Is that a keeper? They're really cute. We'll see, we don't, we don't know if they uh, are boy, 
boy or girl yet or what, but uh, thank you for having having me on this. Is How much longer do we have? Are we all finished now? Very quickly before you go, there's a guy named Paul Matthew Harrison that wrote a couple of books about you, <laughs> or at least a couple of books that involved you. How full of shit is he? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like an answer to that. Love you, Paul. Paul's my buddy. No, he's, he, yeah, he's, I, I, I think he's, He's pretty close. I, I read some of it. I couldn't bear. I felt too self-indulgent. <laughs> you know, reading through like uh, uh, too much about myself, um, but our, our relationship even. Uh, but I, it sounded like he, he's so smart, you know, and he's so observant, and he, he takes good notes and he documents things really well, and he, some, he compiles it all. He's a very prolific writer, and um, I remember from the moment I met him, I felt such a strong connection to him, and really, I always feel. Um, up, uplifted and like in, encouraged and uh i learn a lot from him you know he's got such a powerful mind and sometimes i try to calm that and say <laughs> don't trust too much what your head tells you it can be like can torment you you think too much i'm all for thinking but you know to a to a point and paul's <laughs> a real thinker he is uh and so he's thought so he's i'm sure he's thought very carefully about everything he said and i'm sure most of it's pretty spot on but i i have to admit i couldn't bring myself to finish reading because i just it just made me feel too like self-conscious or something. Well, Paul's a great guy and he's actually the one that's responsible for you being here tonight. So we want to yep. definitely shout out Paul and, and tell him, thank you. He's a friend of our podcast. He's been on a couple of times and, and we love Paul very much. And, and um, you know, everyone who's watching Facebook live, thank you so much for watching. Uh, and those of you who are in the webinar, stick around. Uh, we're going to get to, you're going to get to ask Aaron some questions. I want to read this comment. Uh, Seth, you put some of these in, in here. See if we miss anything. Yeah. That we want. But this Jesse Ray Whipple on something from a few minutes yeah. ago, please, ass uh, yes, please assure Aaron that his music has had a profound impact on many and his personality has had a profound impact on me and my journey into sobriety and God. God is in quotation marks uh, for some reason. But uh, his support <laughs> these pa past five years has been nothing but positive. And that was, I don't know, so I don't know if Jesse Ray. Oh, hi, Jesse. Yeah, Jesse's a good a good buddy of mine from that I met up in Massachusetts. And I understand, at least I can relate to why he would put God in quotation marks. I think there's good reasons for doing that. And I can, I can certainly, sometimes I want to put everything I ever say in scare quotes. Mm -hmm. this, um, certainly religious talk. It sometimes feels like it benefits from a little bit of distancing ourselves from it. And, and the scare quotes are a nice way of doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just fair. true. Thanks, guys. And, and thanks, Aaron. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs>